Shut up and sit down. I'm Dr. Corbin Weaver, an OB-GYN resident. I'm Dr. Katie Wyatt, and I'm one too. And I'm Dave Etler, their pod father. And, and we, we are, are the Vagabonds. Three friends venturing through the world of feminism and healthcare for women, babies, and people of all kinds. We don't give medical advice, and we don't speak for anyone other than ourselves. We're just recording conversations we'd be having in bars anyway. Hello, Vagabonds. Welcome, or welcome back. In the first half of today's show, I'll talk about the Natural Cycles app. I'll go over what it is and why the FDA just approved it for birth control use. Later on, we'll have news with Dave and more. Yay! <laughs> Always got to have the yay. Anyway, so today I brought with me one of my co-interns, Dr. Jillian Clare. Well, Hi, everybody. Welcome, Jillian. Hello, welcome. Thank you. So she is, uh, like I said, one of my co-interns here. Um, she's from the South, so she has a different perspective. So, uh, anything new with you peeps? I'm home after my long vacation. Woohoo! It was long. I think three weeks is right. Three weeks is the right amount of vacation, people. It's <laughs> a lot of vacation. It is like a lot of vacation, vacation, but I think it means you can come back without too much... Uh, you know, you've you've gotten you've gotten all the way into your vacation. You know, if it's a two week vacation, you know you're you know you're okay. If it's a one week vacation, that's you might as well not go on vacation because you spend half your time getting into your vacation and the other half of your time getting out of it psychologically. So and oh, you know, is that how that works? Do you, I know. Some I, of it, us I don't have like, that. I, I feel a little bit uh, awful talking about my three week vacation to you guys, <laughs> but uh, someday, someday. <laughs> Maybe. No, definitely. You should insist on it. Well, seeing as I don't even get three full weeks of vacation right now, so. Yeah, I know. Period for the whole year. Someday. Anyway. Um, yeah, I'm just living life. I worked this weekend. So, you know, 12 days in a row. Woo. Woo. Yep. Good times. Should we talk about why we didn't record an episode or not? Because <laughs> we were tired. 12 days in a row. <laughs> Yeah, and I get up for, at at least four o'clock every day, uh, and I had to call a bunch of patients still. Yeah, and I had to write. And a bunch it, of by notes. the time we were done recording, I would have it would have been too late to call them. Life was interfering with our plans. It was so, you know. I when we 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 got together as usual at the appointed hour, and um, as soon as I saw you guys. Something told me that we were not going to be recording <laughs> just because you both looked exhausted and uh, tired and a little bit sad. Yeah, that's pretty much my life. And so we, uh, you know, that's why we okay. didn't record a show. Yeah. yeah. Now, you know, we had the intentions of doing it. We just couldn't. Good intention. mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, let's talk about what we're going to talk about. Let's not live in the past. You want to introduce it? So you might have heard in the news that the FDA just approved an app called Natural Cycles, um, which is the first app to be approved for contraception. Um, The Natural Cycles app uses a method that's been around for years called fertility awareness or the rhythm method, um, and basically helps you track your cycles and 
when you're ovulating to give you times when it's safe to have unprotected sex and days when if you want to avoid a pregnancy, you should be using protection or abstaining from sex. Yeah. So it's so a, we had it, it. So but, it's logging. It's helping you log information so you can make decisions. Exactly. So how it works is you every day you take your temperature and plug it into the app. Um, you also track things like when you get your period, when you have sex, if you use protection or not that day. And over time, it gets to know your body and your menstrual cycle and um, t- gives you either green or red days. And the green days are not fertile days when it's safe to have sex without protection. And then the red days are days when you need protection. So does it like take a few weeks to like work then if it has to get to know your cycle? It does. They, the manufacturers say that it takes a couple of months to really get to know your body and to give you the most number of green days. So they say that for the first couple of months you use it, you'll probably have about 10 red days each month which means fertile days that you need protection. Um, and as you use it, you'll eventually get more green days. Um, but they don't really give a good number on how many you should expect over time. So it's, it's an app. It's, it's not yeah. equipment or, or uh, yeah, so like a, you like need a thermometer you need or the, something like that. It's just an app. Yeah, so you need a thermometer and, and you need the app and you need a basal thermometer, which is not just any old thermometer that you can get. Um, it has to measure your temperature to two decimal points because um, when you ovulate, your t- your body temperature goes up very slightly. So you take your temperature every day and the days that when your temperature is slightly higher could indicate that you're ovulating. Um, so you need it should be a mercury th- thermometer too, right? Uh, no, I think, I think that's what I... The one that, so they actually have a thermometer that they sell. You don't have to use theirs. Um, But if you subscribe, if you buy the year subscription for $80, they send you a thermometer. Um, And I think it's just an electronic thermometer. The most important thing is that it measures to two decimal points. Yeah, on their website, it just says it has to, it has to be a certified two decimal basal thermometer. Do they publish any like uh, data about how, I mean, effective it is? They sure did. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I have the article right here. Um, So the studies that they did to prove that this was working and to get it FDA approval were done in Sweden. Um, And yeah, um, they did a prospective study um, with over 22,000 users who use the app every day and track them um, uh, over 13 cycles. And so they found that typical use of the app had a rate, pregnancy rate of 6.9 pregnancies per 100 women over the course of 13 cycles. Okay. Mm -hmm. So over one year. Um, So typical use would be how they expect everybody to use it. And they weren't really clear on what that meant on if they're, you know, how many times that you could have unprotected sex to fall into that category rather than to fall into the perfect use category. Um, but they claim that with perfect use, the efficacy rate is 99%. So with only one um, pregnancy per 100 women per year um, in that the error rate of the app, so the rate at which um, the app falsely gives you a green day is 0.5%. 
So that's pretty good. That's comparable with um, what other types of birth control that we've discussed. Comparable with the pill closest. Um, the pill, um, the typical use of the pill is like 90 to 95% effective. Um, and perfect use can be 99% effective. Yeah. Or 90. Yeah. Um, so it sounds so, like there. It sounds like the ninety-nine point. Would you say ninety-nine point five percent for the Natural Cycles app is uh, yeah is uh, in you know perfect use. Yeah, setting. So perfect use would mean absolutely no times that you have unprotected sex um, on a red day. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know how realistic that is. <laughs> Yeah, right. I mean, it, also, it, I mean, also, you feel like I feel like maybe not tracking as often would not be perfect use. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Like, I don't know. Yeah, you have, and that's like, the thing. You have to take your temperature every single morning, pretty much first thing when you wake up. So, it, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I also wonder how it would work for people like us who have to work night shift sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, that's gonna mess with well everything. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, everything. Jillian's on nights right now. Yeah, I mean, yeah. my body is very confused. <laughs> I mean, not even just not even just that your your body's doing different things than it might otherwise do, but also just it messes with the time that you can do it. You know, the right. time that you can take mm -hmm. the measurement and and all kinds of stuff. This is yeah, really interesting. And I think though. if you're not taking your temperature at the same time every morning or pretty close to the same time, it probably would have a you know little bit of error in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because your basal body temperature changes throughout the day, too. So, basically, did they have to, like, compare it to another... So, they compared it to thing? other methods of fertility awareness. Oh. Um, fertility awareness has been around for... Literally li ever. Yeah, it's, you know, one of our oldest forms of birth control. Um, you, you know, either tracking the days between your cycles... Um, you know, or measuring your temperature on your own and just keeping track um, with other methods of fertility awareness. Um, the typical use failure rate is about twenty-five percent. So this is clearly a you know big improvement over other methods of this type of birth control. It says that uh, yeah. on their website. It says uh, natural cycles takes objective measurements into account, such as temperature ovulation tests sperm survival and adapts to your unique cycle so mm -hmm. when they say it takes into account those things other than temperature they must mean i mean you they're not are you are you also testing for for lh and sperm survival and all that kind of stuff yeah so you can test for lh that's an option um not a requirement for using the app but they offer that and that's they use that in some of their studies as well. Um, around the days when the app was predicting that ovulation would happen, they had women measure their LH level um, to essentially confirm that ovulation was happening those days. And that helped them um, fine tune their app and show them that they were accurately predicting ovulation. So you could go just go with temperature, but there's also these additional uh, exactly, parameters yeah. you yeah. can choose to measure. At least exactly. during the to make sort it more of, effective. I guess you call it mm -hmm. training phase or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And they want you to be, in addition to just logging the temperature, logging 
if you I, I think that the app has areas to say if you're like sick that day um if you had sex the night before um you know when you get your period and then the app can actually predict for you if your period's later than it should be one of the things they say is they recommend the app to women between the ages of 20 to 40 who are in a stable relationship, comfortable using protection on red days, uh, and don't mind measuring their temperature in the morning. That last one is pretty obvious, but I wonder why yeah. 20 to 40, to I wonder why crucial. they recommend it to women between because 20 Because women who are at the beginning of their cycle, your pituitary... Your hypothalamic pituitary gonadotropic axis isn't mature, and so you have more irregular cycles. And mm. then when you're over 40, it's the opposite, and you're like losing fertility, and so you have you're like perimenopausal, so you have irregular cycles. So it works best in people who have uh, regular cycles. Yeah, that's yeah. the other thing. That's mm -hmm. what I was just gonna say. I just pulled up the instructions for use on their website, and it says that natural cycles may not be right for you if you have irregular menstrual cycles. So cycles with a length less than 21 days or greater than 35 days, which, as people will know, is considered abnormal uterine bleeding because we just did an episode on that. <laughs> and then it yeah, says people it, who are in a it, stable relationship. Because you have to have a partner who's willing to go along with this. Yeah. And, you know, be okay with using protection certain times or just abstaining certain days. Yeah. And I think if you... Don't necessarily have just one stable partner that would be that would be more difficult yeah or yeah. if you know you're having sex with multiple partners you should be using condoms anyway so yeah. <laughs> exactly um they actually have a they're not this app is not just for preventing pregnancy this app can also be used for getting pregnant sure yeah so it essentially is just the same exact thing but in reverse so if you're trying to get pregnant and have sex on your most fertile days you just do exactly the opposite of what the app is telling you to do and you can actually program the app to tell it that you're wanting to get pregnant so i think this would be a really good thing to invest in for someone who is wanting to have a child sometime in the future maybe not right now but is interested in learning more about their fertility so that when the time comes they have the best chance of getting pregnant What's the, so I'm reading here about a Pearl Index, which I've oh, yeah. not I heard of before. Oh, yeah. talk about that. So the Pearl Index is like what we talked about earlier about like how many women per hundred get pregnant in one year on that form of birth control. The difference between perfect use and what is it called? Actual use? Typical use. Typical use. So like the Pearl Index is just like how many women per hundred get pregnant in one year. When we did our episode about natural family planning, or I guess it was fertility awareness too, we talked about how like it works better if you're like, it works better for like spacing out pregnancies than it does for like preventing them completely. Like, I feel like this works better with people who are like okay mm -hmm. with possibly getting pregnant, but like don't really want mm -hmm. to. Yeah. yeah. Maybe not right now, but, but if, it, if it happened, it wouldn't be the worst thing. To be fair, that's how I feel about the pill also. Yeah. So it's fine. <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree. Unless it's a lark. Yeah. You better be okay with getting pregnant. Exactly. Or a tubal. This is interesting. I feel like, I wonder, okay, so you know how, uh, was it, we also talked about this recently. There's like a loophole that allows like other medicines that are similar to be a, like FDA approved on like a fast track. 
right? Mm-hmm. We talked about that on the um, episode that we talked about the bleeding edge, I think. Yeah, when it comes yeah. to, when it, we talked um, about it when it comes to medical devices, but we, not so much when yeah. it comes to drugs. Yeah, but I wonder, because this is like probably technically a medical device or technology or something. Yeah, it would seem like it's FDA approved. to me to qualify, yeah. Yeah, I think now that this app, I'm sure there will be plenty of copycat apps. Yeah, that's exactly the, thing. the Like, thing. I wonder if a bunch of them are going to try to get FDA approved. Yeah. I wonder if I'll have to start counseling patients about it. I do tell patients about it, but like not as a yeah. way to like prevent well, pregnancy. I was really. thinking just because we've had a couple of patients lately with medical conditions that are, mean that birth hormonal birth control is contraindicated, um, like clotting disorders. So I think that this could potentially be something that they could use um, yeah. as like a tool for them if they don't feel comfortable going on a hormonal birth control because of their history. Yeah, because they're like really their only other option is the pair guard. Pair guard, yeah. Yeah, I mean, some people very much like are mo- like really don't want to be on hormones, which like is their own, you know, prerogative. And I think that there, I mean, we do need to come up with options for them that's not like pair guard, because also like pair guard isn't great for everyone either. And right. so. Yeah, well, that makes me. That leads me to to wonder um, what kind of follow up studies will be done mm-hmm. um, at the. I mean, I'm sure there will be follow up studies outside of the FDA approve or the FDA process. But mm-hmm. what additional studies will be done at the um, yeah. at the sort of national? Uh, I think they need to level. do retrospective studies because this one was just looking forward, and they ended up. Um, basically dropping a lot of people that enrolled in the study out of the study either because they weren't being compliant enough or because they um, ended up getting pregnant and they essentially called those people um, like planned pregnancies. So. Oh, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's strange. So the data might not be completely accurate when it expanded to a more complete population. Right. Well, and I wonder what population they used to, because like if you had a bunch of people who like wanted a form of this birth control, that's also different. Like people who are committed to using it versus they um their discontinuation rate over twelve months was fifty four percent. So yeah. So they how does that compare to um, natural family planning then? Because maybe we don't have that information. I don't know. Yeah. But like compared to like the IU, like the continuation rate for an IUD after a year is like high 80 80s, or yeah. something. Yeah, it's like mm-hmm. high 80s. And and that's and partially because in like order to discontinue it, you might have to go get it removed. I would, yeah. I would think. I don't know. Yeah, but we take them out of people. You know, I don't yeah. think that's a barrier. There's to- lots of people who like if they really don't want them, mm-hmm. they will get them out. Right. But most people like I mean, it is, there is a difference between going to the clinic and getting your IUD removed and the difference between just stop using an app. That's true. Mm -hmm. But also it could be the difference between like an app is annoying, you have to do it every day and an IUD you don't have to do anything with. Right, right. Yeah. I think they'll need to look at how, you know, this 54% who did stop, what are they stopping for? Are they stopping because they're trying to get pregnant or because they realize they need something a little bit more effective? Because it was annoying. Auto- yeah. Automatic, sort of. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, there you go. I wonder if the Catholic Church is going to support this. They've been on board with natural family planning in the past. so. Well, that's what I mean, if they mm-hmm. consider this natural family planning. Yeah. 
because that yeah that's their like only acceptable except they would say you can't you you just can't have sex during the red days right yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> so that seems you know that seems reasonable yeah but it's like, um you can have sex on the high holy day it's funny because i mean i so i i went to sweden as listeners may know and i remember being there and there's like controversy about this app because a bunch of people got pregnant on it that's what the OBGYNs told me there so a lot of people had to like abortions as a result and so i don't know i don't trust their data to be honest with me Wow, <laughs> Corbin with the big guns. There she goes. It just, I mean, if you have a 54% dropout rate, like, did they do an intention to treat analysis? Uh, yeah, you know? that's, like, yeah, did they? There was not an intention to treat analysis. Oh, that's paper. bad. An intention to treat analysis is basically if you start, you, you start in the group, you have to continue to be included in the group in the final, like, like through the end. I guess analysis of the data right. because there could be significant reasons why you dropped out of the study or dropped out of using the birth control for example so you have to like essentially account for like a failed use for everyone who dropped out you don't have to know why they dropped out but you have to account for the fact that they dropped out by including so, them in the analysis oh, you have to and when you include I, them in the analysis you have to include them as failures right yeah as failures not so, as like successes of failures I see. Right. you can't just make your sample size smaller i didn't know that i thought people yeah. just dropped out you just discounted their data entirely and no no oh, because there has to I be learned a, a little science to today out. yeah I learned a little about science. Yeah, because it's like, for instance, if let's say this is a like a medica a pill you take, if someone stops taking a pill because like the side effects are intolerable, that's going to be important to you know like account for, right? Mm. So, and the fact is, you just don't know like what would have happened with that person, right? And like a lot of them are like someone moved away from the study or whatever and so you have to count it as the worst outcome because you're trying to prove the best outcome and so like you don't want to falsely inflate your numbers Mm. that makes sense Mm -hmm. yes yes that makes a lot of sense thank you so jillian just pulled up the number of women that were like registered versus yeah so they registered a total of twenty-seven thousand women um 22,785 were included in the study and by 18 months out there were only 2,684 contributing so yeah that's huge yeah so they essentially only had 10% left after at the end of their study and they said that um, they like were cut out of the study due to being lost to follow up getting pregnant or just when the study ended (laughs) getting pregnant Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Which could be a failure of the app. You know, it could be they intentionally got pregnant and so they stopped using the app, but it could be. But it could also be because the app didn't work. Yeah, exactly. Okay, Corbin, I'm with you. I've got my skeptical uterus face on. Yep, Me you gotta be. I just, and especially, I mean, you just have to be skeptical of, I mean, and this is true for, and we talked about this last, or two weeks ago, um, you have to be skeptical with, uh, with, you know, 
research articles that were published from the pharma the company that's mm-hmm. trying to sell a product essentially you know yeah but you know the, the 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 headlines that i've been reading about this are not you know a company makes app for natural birth control the, the what i've been reading is fda approves first app for natural uh mm-hmm. natural uh family planning which i mean yes that's true but it also sort of you know the fact that the fda approved it as we sort of touched on last time sort of gives it an air of legitimacy to most people um like the fda was like yeah we totally agree with that this is a good thing that this is going to work um then clearly that's not uh always always the case i think it's legitimate as a you know, it does what it was designed to do, which right. is to predict your fertile and not fertile days. But as for, is it truly preventing pregnancy? We don't really know that yet. Well, and, and right. it's the difference between an individual's, an individual's experience and the experience of a population, right? Right. I mean, you can, you mm-hmm. can say that... You know, you, you can never say that, you know, an individual will experience what the population experiences or the results of the population, right? So basically, if you're saying like, you know, the success rate is 95%, well, somebody has to be the 5%. Right. Oh, it's kind of like the breastfeeding thing, like breastfeeding for birth control, it works on a population level, but not on an individual level. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Jillian, for That's translating kind of- for me. Yeah. I appreciate that. Okay. I need a lot of translation on this show. It's okay. Because you try to mansplain, but we're all too feminist for you. (laughs) 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 Oh, boy. I think apps like this are cool in the sense of, like, giving people more aware, like, awareness of their body and, like, how it works and all that and help. Like, I've been using that app Clue, actually. Oh, yeah. You know, as our experiment. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just, I mean, I think it's interesting to, like, put in all the data and, like... Um, so like, I thought that since I had my Mirena put in, I had just like, like random spotty bleeding, but actually I have like pretty cyclic spotty bleeding. So on like where a period probably was in my past. And so that's kind of interesting, right? Like I didn't really realize that until I started like tracking it. So I think it's interesting and especially for people who are like trying to become pregnant, but, uh, to like recommend it as birth control is like perhaps you know perhaps, may mm-hmm. perhaps a step too far so uh in january 2018 so you know over half a year ago that's fine a uh, hospital in sweden reported that 37 women were seeking abortions saying that they had gotten pre- pregnant while using the natural cycles app what hospital was it i don't know it doesn't say. oh it doesn't say no. Wonder if it was my hospital. Probably. Yeah, that's. I that's mean, kind of a that's the thing. Like, it's kind of a lot for what seems like a short period of time. Yeah. You just gotta ask yourself: Are you willing to be that? I am not. Yeah. Person, you right. know, that f- five to six people that wouldn't get pregnant if all of these people were using IUDs. You right. know. Also, I will. I have to say, like five or six people per year per hundred people is a lot yeah that's a pretty high rate 
I think that's a lot, yeah. How do you especially put, when can you, you put that I, in perspective? I guess, okay, for that me, wouldn't though, be a lot if it was like. It doesn't sound like a lot. Okay, but think about this. Okay, so like it wouldn't be a lot if it was like five people got a urinary tract infection, something that's like really easy to treat. You go into your doctor, get an antibiotic, you're done in a week. Mm. This is something that literally takes nine months of your life plus 18 years until your kid graduates from freaking high school and leaves your your house. Yeah, damn. And it's literally children, you know, they've like done those studies. Children cost millions of dollars over their lifetimes. It's not like just, this is like if you had a one in five chance of getting in a like, like getting cancer. It's like more expensive than getting cancer, Mm -hmm. basically. Not that I think people shouldn't get pregnant. This makes me sound terrible, but like if you don't want it, then it is terrible. Well, plus as the father of two children, one of whom is going to go to college soon. <laughs> I'm now feeling well, not very that depressed. Soon, but thank Dave. you. Yeah. Dramatic. Well, yeah, so it totally, I mean, it's a huge, for something major to happen like that, it's a, it's a big deal, so. What's your news, Dave? Well, Dave, what's I, your news? um, In 2016, I would note that the American Heart Association said 26% of women will die within a year of heart attack and just 19% of men. By five years after a heart attack, almost half of women die who've had a heart attack compared with 36% of men. So the question has sort of always been, you know, why is this the the case? Did they just, do you remember if they discussed this maybe during your ER clerkships? I didn't know they did not. I mean, because the question is, are men and women different physiologically? Why, you know, we we did talk about this first or second year, though. I think they did. Maybe reaching way back. I know. Well, I I mean, I mean, that is the question. Are are men and women different? Um, But a new a new study um, suggests that men and women are different, um, that women might, in fact, just be better ER doctors. Um, at least, there have been at least so when many studies to, that to show that women are better doctors. <laughs> um, the study, so the study, here's how they did the study. The study looked at all heart attack records in Florida from every ER in the state from 1991 to 2010. And they looked at women doctors treating women, women doctors treating men, male doctors treating women, and male doctors treating men. So guess which one of those pairings were different from the others? Male doctors treating women. That's right. Female heart attack patients' risk of death rises 12% if her emergency physician is a man. Also, the more female... Co- this is this is interesting. The more female colleagues a male emergency physician had, the more likely his female patients were to survive. I mean, that's just fascinating. You know, like, I know it's probably like, yeah, to you guys. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Misogyny is affects our is health. It mis- I mean, in a lot of ways. but let's. I mean, let's talk about this a little bit more because is is it is it misogyny? I think it's hard to say. Like, obviously, you the study doesn't really say like no, why. They, they you know, like they didn't have that information. They don't know yet. Though it does try to tip us off to maybe a possible reason by asking by studying men who have more female colleagues. Right. Right. Um, I mean, perhaps the men are um, learning from their female colleagues what a heart attack looks like in women. 
And and I feel like I've heard, you know, for I've, I I don't know, maybe I've just seen like an ad on Facebook or whatever. It's like women have heart attacks differently from men. Know the signs. I mean, is that yeah? That is. It's true. true they yeah. do, or can. I guess I should say. And it's also the case that a lot of our data on heart attacks comes from men. There was that study a while back that said, like, you know, female hospitalists had better outcomes than yep. male hospitalists. Yep. Um, and I think this is kind of hard to parse out because of just the ways that, especially in medical education, like women and men are treated differently. And like, I think that typically, I mean, from my own personal experience, like not to say that like male medical students, obviously like, I mean, can't be competent like obviously they are but it's just like usually they don't have to demand to be like respected or heard whereas like women do and so I feel like that creates like like I guess a more like if you are going to succeed in medicine you have to be good as a female you know what I mean yeah, you like, have no choice you can't coast as a woman right yeah you can't skate by and right so, Which, I, mean, I mean, and that doesn't have to do fair, with any like intrinsic, part. like female or male qualities or whatever, whatever that would mean, you know, like differences. It's more about the differences and how they're, you know, trained or enculturated or whatever. So, and this could also be true for like females versus males, um, like pro ER providers. I mean, I think that sometimes, you know, as a society, we're enculturated into like disregarding people's pain, disregarding women's pain, disregarding people of color's pain. And so male pain is the only valid pain, it seems like. Right. Unless you sawed off a finger, it doesn't matter, right? Well, then, (laughs) yeah, then you can go, oh, yeah, there's a finger missing. Yeah, so I think there's a lot of layers to the to it. Another study like that recently looking at male versus female OBGYNs and um, really the only difference is found is that male were more likely to do episiotomies. There's also apparently women use more force when they're delivering, mm-hmm. like more force on a baby's head when they're delivering a baby because apparently like men are more careful because they think that they'll hurt them whereas women just like think that they need to use a lot and so we yeah. like use more hmm. i will say when we were at the sim center i put a ton of force on that baby's head <laughs> i did not I was, i'm always too scared. i was way above the limit every time <laughs> My Fallopian Files is the show Parenthood. I've seen it all the way through, but I started rewatching it with Andrew, and it's so good. You should watch it. It's on Netflix. I it like came off the air a few years ago. I can't handle shows that are like that emotionally taxing. It's like emotional porn. But yeah, yeah, I like can't handle it because my life is like too emotional. <laughs> Sometimes you have to have an outlet, you know. I know that's true. I don't need an outlet right now because I can literally cry at the top of my head, so it's fine. <laughs> can I tell you? I, I feel like I, I okay. So I don't know if this is true or not. Obviously, but 
uh, I once had a job uh, in ad sales at MTV Networks. What? I know, right? Uh, I was, you know, like super, super basic, super entry level job. Now, this was back in the 90s. There were computers, but most of us didn't. I mean, they, you know, we had one on our desk, but we only used it for word processing, right? Like you couldn't enter data directly into the system. So what we did was we filled out bubble sheets to schedule ads. So uh, an advertiser would say, you know, I want to put $2 million towards an ad um, and you can't run it against the real world or Beavis and Butthead, um, but you can run it against all these other things. So you would have to fill out bubble sheets to to indicate that. If you made a mistake, you could lose a million dollars and in a heartbeat. And I just could not take the pressure. I could, I literally could not take the pressure. And I would come home and I would sit, I would sit down on the couch and I remember watching, uh, they used to have this show um, called, it was like, I'll just make up a name, it was called Tales of the Emergency Room. I don't know if that was the real, the real name, uh, but it was narrated by William Shatner. And I just remember sitting on the couch and crying over the plight of the, you know, the random stranger <laughs> stuck underneath the gas truck that was on fire. And, <laughs> and you know, like, I was so emotional. I was so, I mean, I, basically, at the end of a month, I told them that I didn't want to do that job anymore. Um, so that's been my worst job ever. Oh, so I, I feel, feel like, like I kind of know what you're, <laughs> what you're going through, but maybe not, not so much. <laughs> at least on a micro level, you know. I love my job so much and also at the same time this is like the worst time <laughs> yeah 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 I have never been so scared of anything because like people can literally die it's so scary mm-hmm. <sighs> you have a lot I mean you have a lot of backup though I mean it's it's not just it's yeah. not just you against the world is it Although I was the first person to a rapid response this week, so that was yeah, what, really fun. What does that mean? It means that someone, it's like not quite a code blue. The code blue means like someone is like not having a heart, like a pulse mm-hmm. or like not breathing. A rapid is like an acute event is happening. That's like, you need, it's an emergency, but like not a code. Okay. It's, it's like close. Basically, this person was seizing. Yeah. And I was the first physician there. Did you do? Was, did you do all right? Yeah. Yeah. I did fine. That's great. Actually. Yeah. It was very strange. One of my residents, when I was a third-year med student, told me that rapids are way more scary than code blues because if it's a code blue, the person's already dead. You can't screw up. That's true. But a rapid, you could screw up. Hmm. So. Plus, in a code blue, it. people are trained for code blues, and there's like only one thing that's happening. But in a rapid, there's so many more things that could happen to mm-hmm. cause a rapid that it's mm-hmm. like you have a way bigger differential. So, am I wrong in thinking that in a code blue, I mean, basically, you're working to get their heart started again? I mean, that's yeah, that's so, your one job. And like everyone takes like it's basically like CPR but advanced, and like mm-hmm. we all have taken it, so we all know what to do. Yeah. But in a rapid, there's like a million different things that you can do. Right. So anyway, it was fine. I'm glad you did good. The person. Thank you. I mean, I did fine. I made it until my senior showed up. <laughs> Very good. So, yeah. The person's still alive, so it's good. Anyway, uh, my fallopian file is the show Making It with Nick Offerman and Amy Poehler. Oh, I want to catch this so bad. It's so good. 
It's on Hulu. Yeah. If you want to watch it, like after Hulu it's anymore. been out. Um. Yeah. It's so good though. It's like the Great British Bake Off, except with crafting. Yeah. And the two of them are so <laughs> funny. I need to watch that. Yeah, it's, it's hilarious. Because they're not just being, you know, straight about it. It, it right. sounds like. Yeah, I totally want to see this. Yeah, it's real good. We've been watching it like during dinner, mm-hmm. the one 20 minutes at a time <laughs> a day that we watch television. <laughs> what about you, Jillian? My Philippian file is all these goofy rom-coms that Netflix has been making lately. <laughs> I love it. Set It Up was like the cutest thing I've watched in years. Oh, yeah. I and liked that one. It was good. perfect for just turning my brain off. When I need something happy for work. I need that. Mm-hmm. It's great. I would have to say that cool. my fallopian files would have to be uh, family. Uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, went home, saw the fam, saw the uh, saw the Etlers from the East Coast, and um, as always, it was a beautiful experience with a couple of you know frustrating moments. <laughs> just because it's family do you know what i'm saying yeah yeah i think totally. you do and um but on the whole it's always great to go home and 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 reconnect with uh the, the people from whence you came and uh it was it was a pretty sweet it was a pretty sweet uh couple of weeks so yeah nice i'm excited because i get to do that too yeah yeah, I have vacation in September, and I'm going home. Nice. And I'm very excited for it. Will Adam be able to come with you? No. Okay. But I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I just like want to go home. Well, and also Holly, who's been on the show before, is having a baby. Oh, so hopefully yeah. by the time this comes out, the baby will be born. Nice. So we'll see. Not yet. It's overdue. I'm ready. Well, I guess uh, I guess we could uh, could we call the show to an end. Yep. All right. Later. Uh, I just want to say before we go, uh, listeners, glad you were here today. Love to hear from you about today's show or any other topic. You can visit thebadgerbonds.com to get in touch, offer suggestions for future shows, share your views on uh, just about anything. Uh, We'll see you next time. 